Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's webinar. Just want to let you know that you are in the right place. We're going to wait about one minute uh, as everyone files in. But again, uh, if you're here for the Safety and Health webinar sponsored by Alert Media, you are in the right place. We thank you for joining us. Hello again, everyone. Just a reminder that we'll be starting the webinar in about 30 seconds. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Build a Safety Culture That Withstands Change, sponsored by Alert Media. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. We hope you all are safe and well. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first, let's review some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we'll conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the send button. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speakers. At the end of this webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I'll let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, we'd now like to introduce Katie Gowen, Contact Marketing Manager at Alert Media, who will tell us more about today's speakers and take things from here. Thank you, Katie. Yes, thank you, Kevin. Hello, everyone. As he said, I'm Katie Gowen, a marketing manager at Alert Media, and I'll be your moderator this afternoon. And I'm really happy to be here to facilitate today's discussion on how organizations can reinvent their safety cultures to make them more sustainable and more adaptable. So with that, I would love to introduce you to today's speakers, starting with Dr. Mark French. Mark is Senior Health Safety and Environmental Manager at Dalkia Energy Solutions. He has more than 15 years of experience in EHS management over a wide variety of industries. And Mark has a proven history of streamlining processes, strengthening communications, and lowering workplace injuries through implementing these effective and actionable safety programs that put people first. So Mark is also the owner of TSD Amalgamated Safety Consulting, and he's the host of a podcast called Leading and Learning Through Safety. And if all of that is not enough, Mark is also an EMT, a certified safety professional, and he earned an MBA and a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology. Woo, Mark, quite the credentials. Welcome, thanks for being here. So glad to be here, thank you. Of course. And I would also like to welcome Peter Steinfeld. Peter has been involved in the emergency communications industry for more than 20 years now. 
He is the Senior Vice President of Safety Solutions at Alert Media. So he works with a wide variety of organizations to support their employee safety, business continuity, and emergency preparedness initiatives. And Peter is a podcaster as well. He is the host of the Employee Safety Podcast at Alert Media. And some of his recent conversations include leaders from FEMA, Salesforce, Amazon, Boeing, and many, many more. And actually, Mark was a guest on the Employee Safety Podcast back in November. So if you like what you hear today, which I hope you will, you'll definitely want to check out that episode. But back to Peter. Hi, Peter. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I really am looking forward to it. Excellent. Well, thank you again both for your time. And I do want to just quickly touch on today's agenda so everyone knows what we can expect for the next hour or so. We'll be discussing, you know, what safety culture means, especially in today's evolving landscape and and why it matters in your organization. We'll talk about Mark's philosophy of why he considers safety a service, which I think you will find fascinating. We're going to talk about how to engage and empower your workforce. And then finally, some best practices for adopting safety first behaviors. But before we get into the presentation, I do want to launch our first poll. So I do encourage you to participate in all the polls throughout the webinar today. It not only helps us gain context on the audience, but it'll also help direct the conversation a bit today as well. So if you would take a moment to answer the question on your screen, we'd like to know how you would rate your safety culture sustainability in today's constantly changing threat landscape. So do you feel it's sustainable, maybe somewhat sustainable, unsure, somewhat unsustainable, or just unsustainable? So there are no wrong answers here. We just kind of want to get a gauge on where everyone's at. So Jean, once you start to see the um, numbers taper off there, if you could go ahead and end that poll and share the results. Perfect. Okay, this is great. So it looks like more than 50% of our audience feel that their safety culture is currently somewhat sustainable. So that sounds like good news to me, but of course I'm not the expert. So Mark, let me go to you. Is this, is this what you expected? I think this is great. Considering what we've been through with COVID-19 and such a disruption to our organizations, it's really good to hear that we're still able to keep some sustainable safety culture going. That means it's embedded well. So that's very good news. That makes sense to me. And then Peter, any additional thoughts there? Yeah, I think if we had asked this to like like, uh, 24 months ago, it would have been a much different answer. Probably people would have said very sustainable. And then if you asked about 12 months ago, it probably would have been somewhat unsustainable. And now it's back when it's somewhat sustainable. So yeah. Absolutely. Well, that makes sense to me. Well, thank you guys for participating in that poll. And I do want to now pass things over to Peter and Mark, who are going to just kind of better define safety culture and talk about why it's important in your organization. So Peter, do you want to get things started for us? Absolutely. Thank you, Katie. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, safety culture is not a new concept to businesses, but it still can be pretty difficult to understand at times and even more difficult to change. That's a big uh, topic we'll cover today. Um, So what exactly is safety culture within an organization? Fundamentally, it's a set of shared values, goals, and attitudes and practices surrounding safety that help characterize your organization and then hold it accountable. But safety culture doesn't just develop on its own. An organization really has to commit to developing it and then continue to refine and improve it over time. So to demonstrate, let's take a look at Gartner's culture prism that you see on the screen here. 
Uh, it presents five dimensions of culture that can serve as a starting point for building or perhaps reinventing a safety culture within your particular organization. So first is purpose. This is otherwise known as the why. So why are we building or why are we changing our safety culture? And what are the goals? Uh, next is rules. What are the expectations, the boundaries, or the limitations of your re-envisioned safety culture? Uh, third, identity. Who are we now and who do we want to become as an organization? And I think this one is absolutely fundamental to everything else. A very wise business continuity and safety professional once told me, if you're trying to figure out where to start, start with the question, who do we want to be during a disaster? And then everything else is going to flow from there. The type of investments that you'll need to make, the things you're going to need to do, and so on. Everything really flows from that simple question. Fourth is safety. How will we protect ourselves and each other and then motivate safety behaviors within the company? And then lastly is measures. How do we know what's working and more importantly, what's not working or how to prioritize our safety initiatives? So to understand or change your company's safety culture, it's really important to take a holistic approach by taking each of these dimensions into account. Now, Mark, I believe you have a really great example of how, sorry, of creating an organizational culture shift that has inspired you and in all of your work that you've been doing recently. Can you take our guests through that? I'd love to, thank you. So when we talk about the safety case study, Paul O'Neill continually comes up. And so I, I, this was something that definitely inspired me as an early safety professional when I started learning about his case study, but he was the leader of Alcoa from 80, 1987 to 1999. Now, a little bit of the backstory is Alcoa didn't really have a bad safety culture. They were pretty well performing. He was there and the stakeholders and their shareholders wanted him to financially turn the company around. But when he took the first step, he said, we hurt too many people every day. And that's what he focused on. What he understood about a safety culture or even understood about the organization is that safety can be that rally cry that we fall behind, that we jump into when we need to tackle a problem. He knew that whenever we're wanting to diagnose a problem, when you look at safety, you have to understand all the complex components that are part of that safety system. And so that's where he stood up and made that rally cry. And the first step was that he saw we had harm to our team and he wanted to reduce and absolutely eliminate that harm. Our people are the valuable asset. He set no boundaries for safety. Safety should be equal to everyone in your organization. If someone brings up a safety concern, whether it be an office personnel or someone in the field, it's a safety concern. We have to act on it. People are valuable. It's one of those items that is such a struggle we have as safety professionals. I know I have in my career is we get so wrapped up, especially higher up in organizations, looking at numbers. How many incidents did we have? How much insurance money did we spend? One of the biggest cultural indicators that we lead as safety professionals is to continually remind our team, these are real people. And every number, every statistic is a human being. Open communication. People can email Paul directly and say, I have a safety issue. And a CEO would listen to that. That's amazing when we think about that direct communication and keeping communication open 
when we talk about safety, it's so important that that communication is going both ways and we're acting on it. And finally, and I think this really leads up to what it is, there's no such thing as just a safety culture. If it's not your company culture, we're missing it. Safety should be integrated as a core value as part of what we have as a complete culture of our organization. Of course, no substantial change can happen within your organization without some buy-in. We have seen that time and time again, that it takes a leader to get that buy-in to be able to achieve what we have as a safety culture. Here are some tools that have been fantastic to use uh, throughout my career, and I've seen it in also in a lot of peer-reviewed studies to look at, of what is that business case? What makes safety so important to our organizations? First of all, and foremost, sometimes we do have to remind our teams, it is a law. We're required to provide a safe and healthy workplace. Normally, I don't like to use that as my key leverage point. And whenever I'm trying to, to, to really get my organization fired up for safety, but it's a baseline reminder that there is a law out there that we have to follow. It's not just about complying though. It's about thriving. When we protect our team, we are protecting our organizations, we're protecting our communities, we're doing a lot more than just following the law. We are creating a sustainable system that helps keep fulfilling itself with that safety idea. There is, whether anyone wants to see it or not, if you give it the chance, safety is a return on investment. And I'll give you a quick example. One of the jobs that I had to work was building a system and it had to be installed into a shipping container and then shipped. Normally, this would be a very long, very hard process because it was very manual. The first thing we tried to do was just stop and ask our team, have you ever done anything in your past that is similar to this? And what can we buy to or do to make this better and safer? Because it's very heavy and very manual they gave us some simple ideas of things they had used in their past or knew of, or even just through an idea, like it'd be great if it rolled around easier, if the casters were bigger. We tried it. One, we had zero injuries from that, that effort. Uh, we improved the safety and our team definitely didn't look as fatigued, but we also gained four hours of productivity from it. It was unbelievable. It was a safety person's dream. Um, and I'm certainly going to continue to milk that for everything it's worth within the organization. Safety is a fundamental human motivation. So I go back to Maslow, if you've heard of him. 1943, he wrote his theory of human motivation. He said, first thing that a human needs to be motivated is food, water, and shelter. Once we have food, water, and shelter, then we can progress. So if we look at the modern day motivation. Food, water, and shelter is inherent to the workplace. I have a job, therefore I can have food, water, shelter. Now, once we have that base, the very next one that, that Maslow calls out as a fundamental, something that humans absolutely need, is that feeling of safety. If we walk around a job and we're constantly worried that we're going to be hurt, that's all we can focus on and it becomes a distraction for everything else we want to do. The next progression within Maslow is that next, we work as a team. So we have food, water, and shelter. We feel safe. Now we can become a team. Then once we're a team, we look 
for things that rewards. We look for that intrinsic motivation where I want to feel good about what I'm doing every day. And finally, I become that self-fulfilled human being, the one that's problem solving and thinking and doing, but without safety, we can't progress that. We can't make that team building happen. And ultimately, and certainly a lot of different ideas go behind this, but if someone feels safe at work, they inherently do a better job because they're, they can focus on the teamwork. They can focus on the quality of the job rather than constantly having to worry about how they could be hurt on the job. And that is really important as part of what we do. So Peter, I'm gonna kick it back over to you and let you talk about some other companies that are reimagining their safety culture. Okay, wonderful, thank you, Mark. All right, well, I think we could all learn a lot by looking at some real world examples that have worked for other organizations. And perhaps these things are not exactly what you do, but it can certainly provide some inspiration. Um, there are many different ways an organization can adapt their safety cultures for the current times, and they are pretty crazy. Uh, we'll start with Dick's Sporting Goods. So leadership at Dick's demonstrated that they have their employees' backs by implementing what they call the zero tolerance policy for disrespectful behavior toward their employees. <clears throat> they created a hotline that employees could call if they feel they haven't been treated with dignity and respect. So this policy also empowers store security to escort confrontational customers from the premises when efforts to de-escalate conflicts do not succeed. Uh, Dix also is showing its commitment to safety by having top executives make frequent store visits so store leadership can understand what's really going on in stores and can have more face time with employees. So this is just a great example of walking the walk and not just talking the talk. Next on the list is Exelon, it's a leading energy provider. They developed what are called peer safety groups that consist of each business unit's safety managers, the corporate safety managers, industrial hygienists, and legal and medical professionals. The group as a whole seeks out and identifies successful safety pilot programs or just wholeheartedly new safety practices for the organization to go out and adopt. Uh, Exelon also instituted safety achievement awards. This is, I think, a really big thing. They are peer nominated and awarded to employees who go above and beyond their normal job duties to make work safer. Uh, next on the list here is Uber Technologies, which now allows drivers to use their own dash cams to record their rides for safety reasons. And that's as long as local laws permit doing so. Um, also, this is pretty cool. They'll soon be releasing audible seatbelt alerts that basically come from the driver's phone if the passenger's seatbelt is not activated. The rider will also receive a push notification from the Uber app, reminding them to buckle up. Total Energies, oil and gas company, they're making strides to improve their safety culture too. Uh, they develop what they call their 12 golden rules for safety at work, which encourages all team members to play a very active role in safety within the company. And most importantly, it holds them accountable for doing so. That's the key part. You can't just publish something and not hold people accountable. Um, they also created something called a stop card. This is really neat. Every employee is issued a physical card that they can use to intervene if they observe an unsafe situation. If a stop card is raised, all operations must come to a halt until a discussion takes place, an assessment is made, and then a supervisor determines if it's safe to continue operations. And then last here is Levi's Clothing Company. Um, they've really revitalized their safety culture with a bit of a different approach. Um, their focus is on diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, uh, and basically ensuring that their employees feel safe to be their true authentic selves at work, which is really important. 
They also offer employees support through mental health programs, structured time off, and placing more emphasis on avoiding burnout, which is a big problem these days, basically taking time to recharge. So these are just some of the ways that organizations are building or rethinking their safety cultures for 2022 and beyond. Katie, with that, I'll go ahead and turn it back over to you for the next uh, audience poll, right? Yeah, thanks, Peter. This is a great time to pull the audience again. So um, once that comes up on your screen, if you would go ahead and take a minute to fill out the question and answer here. So this time we're asking, which components of safety are you prioritizing in 2022? So you can choose all that apply here. You don't have to just choose one. So maybe you're looking at improving the physical safety of your employees and stakeholders. Uh, maybe their mental health and well-being um, of those same folks. Maybe you want to, as Mark said, focus on gaining that buy-in from leadership or increasing the ROI of your safety program. Or maybe it's just building that company-wide trust, which is so, so important with transparency. So let's go ahead and wrap up that poll now, and then um, we can share the results of that. See, okay, they're all represented here, which I think is fantastic. I might be a little concerned if they weren't, but it kind of looks like most people are most concerned with physical safety um, and then buy-in from leadership, company-wide trust, mental well-being, those are all about the same. And then of course, ROI is, is still on the list there at 20%. So Mark, what are you thinking? Is this a surprise to you? Not really. I, I think I would feel, I felt the same way when I read the, the poll. Um, a lot of it is about physical safety, especially with a lot of different things going on now. Uh, a lot of focus there and then continuing to gain that buy-in. I think that's the constant struggle of the safety professional is that leadership buy-in. And what about you, Peter? Anything to add to, add to that? Yeah, um, I would just say that this, this makes total sense. It seems like all these things are important to everybody. Uh, it's simply that what am I focused on right now? Like I was probably focused on physical safety and now I'm transitioning to mental uh, well-being. So I, I, I just believe everyone's interested in all these things. It's just where they are in their program at the moment in time. Yep, that makes sense to me as well. Well, I'm going to go ahead and move on now. Uh, Mark, I'll turn it over to you to discuss why you consider safety a service and how other organizations could perhaps adopt this philosophy as well. Sure. I think early in my career, it was probably well explained to me by a mentor that I'm a service. Uh, I'm a service group. That's something I have to provide because I don't make money for the company. I can save the money company, but sometimes it's the, the pretend money of like, I avoided a risk for you. But in this case, when I look at the fact that I've always felt as a service provider, it's amazing what we, this, our when you look at flowing the idea of who is your customer, we as safety professionals have a ton of customers. The people, they're looking to us as providing a safe guidance, safe place to work. The organization wants us to reduce risk, offset cost, find ways to protect our team so that we don't have those losses. And then the stakeholders, when we think about environmental, especially as part of our health and safety programs, our communities, do really care about what we're doing because they don't want to have an adverse effect from what we've done. And as the conscience of the company, we have to keep all of these in balance. And honestly, there should be a decent amount of like natural tension among those to keep your program in balance. So if you feel that tension, it's natural because all of these competing customers have their needs. But as that philosophy goes, there's also the measurements 
that come with looking in our safety programs. And there was a couple of ways of that we used to measure safety. The old way was to really focus on reactive safety data. And we're all familiar with this, incident rates, how many injuries did we have, number of days away. And when we're dri driving our organization, it's really hard to keep them focused away from those lagging metrics because those seem to matter to a lot of people. And they are important because someone was hurt, but it's also a very old data because someone is hurt. What we wanna focus on is making the data work for us, using our data to try to predict and guide our leadership to what we should be doing. So using that data, such as hazard reporting or auditing or observations or employee communication to help us guide where our program should go. Use that data to know where you should invest time. If there's somewhere that you're getting that gut feeling and we all as safety people sometimes get that gut feeling that the data is leading me somewhere, we go and see it. We do that gimba. We go and see, understand it and try to work through it. And we also have to really teach that this data is correlation, not causation. Just because the data indicates that something may be happening within our team, we still have to go ask the right questions. We still have to deep dive it, really understand that is the data true? And the only way to find out if the data is true is by interacting with our people and making sure that it's integrated within our culture. Because again, it's all about our people. If our people are getting hurt, we need to understand why and use the data to understand it. So the next part is about how do we use creative thinking? And that's something that we're always being asked to do as a safety professionals. They want us to solve world hunger when it comes to safety. And we can't, but we try our best to try to establish those connections and bring out the conversations, such as first, having a good company policy that people can read, understand, and know where their boundaries are. Because surprisingly, even adults, we like to operate within boundaries, just like on the highway. If it says 55, but there's never anyone there that's gonna stop me from doing 90, I'm doing 90 because I wanna get where I wanna go to. So that's where we ensure that follow through. If we have a policy, are we making sure that we're reasonably following it and following through when we find out there's something there? Most important, we is greater than me. I may be able to have some great ideas, but if I don't go out and ask the team that it may affect, if it's a good idea, it really may not be a good idea. So a lot of times, and this is a hard lesson I've learned over time, is I wanna ask the question. I wanna go out and see if my thinking is actually gonna to work to the people and help people where it should be. So that really leads into the idea of it's people first, process second which is a little different than a lot of other lean metrics. We wanna to get to know our team, understand their needs, their wants, their, what are they looking for in a safety program? Do they want more communication? Do they want more feedback? Do they want to see the action list posted on a wall so they know what we're working? That's one of the goals. And then create that inclusive environment. One of the worst injuries I saw one at an organization was somewhere I didn't expect it. Instead of being on the production floor, it was an accounting person that slammed their finger in a fire safe drawer. Mm. It reminded <laughs> me so quickly that I needed to have that inclusive environment. 
have bias towards new perspectives. A new set of eyes or someone who has a different experience that can have some really neat ideas, but we can only see those ideas if we're listening for them. And so how do we gain that additional leadership buy-in. This is something I love doing. Now, this is not for, if you're having a very serious sit-down meeting with your leadership, don't try this. It, it could very easily make someone mad. You want to play this game in this little test only if you're kind of having a good-hearted kind of introduction or somewhere where you're having kind of an informal safety discussion. And I always like to look at lean metrics. So we have safety, quality, delivery, and cost. As leaders, we are investors in time. People want us to put our time where it's most important. And so I ask the leadership team or a supervisor, whatever group I've got, what is the most important thing in our organization? And if you're like most companies I've worked for, they've learned that safety's number one. Safety, safety's got it. And so I, I look and I scratch my chin and I go, okay, so if you're telling me that, and the most important thing you as a leader can do is invest time. So during your eight hour shift, are you giving me and your team more than two hours a day in safety every day because it's most important? And usually they're gonna go, oh, oh my, that's, that's not right. Usually I'm putting a lot of delivery and cost. And then we, we carry that into the fact that I'm not asking for four hours a day of safety, but we are asking for a few minutes and a few moments with individuals, with leaders to talk about safety that we're frequently talking about it. We don't front load three hours of safety messaging, but as we're making those quality delivery and cost touch points, integrates a little bit of safety to it. Make it part of what you're normally doing all the time. So Katie, I'm gonna turn it back over to you. Perfect. Yeah, Mark, I just want to chime in really quickly so we can move on to some tips and best practices for how organizations can engage and empower their workforce, as well as motivate some of those safety first behaviors. So, Mark, do you have any do's and don'ts that our audience should consider? I do. Uh, and some of these were very hard learned, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> best lessons. Three, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the most valuable lessons I learned were the ones that uh, learned to write back at me. And the first one was create a cultural vision statement. I can't underestimate the idea of just having a simple statement that, that really embodies what you're doing. So here at Dalkia, we have a very simple saying, zero harm. That's our safety goal. We don't, it's not about recordability. It's not about OSHA. It's not about first aid. We don't want to harm our team. Teach the right tools. Teach people how to problem solve. That's an investment in our team. If they can be a good safety problem solver, they can be a good problem solver for a lot of things. So embrace that continual improvement idea. If our team is bringing a safety idea, so like Paul O'Neill did, he made safety the rally cry. But inherently, as people were bringing forward ideas, it spread. It was more than just safety. It was quality, delivery, cost. It was all those great ideas. Always solicit from your team. I think this is such an important thing that we're talking to our team. Are we always going to get great ideas? No, but we never want to shut down the ideas. I still remember a safety committee meeting I was running that they were so angry and so upset. And when I got to the root of it, they wanted more Pepsi machines than Coke machines. Why do we have so many doggone Coke machines in the break room? No, 
that's not what we're going to talk about in our safety committee meeting. I get it. You're upset, but that's not going to help us. And so that's one of those times that I'm not going to stop feedback from everybody because of one suggestion, but we are going to control it. Invest in training. I'm a huge believer in training. If we don't teach, if we don't educate, we can't expect people to perform. Some of the don'ts. And the hardest one I learned was don't be a safety cop. We do have a pretty negative connotation in the safety world. Sometimes we have to deliver a hard message. We have to inform people that we need them to wear their PPE, that we need them to work safe. But we can do it in a way that's proactive. We can do it in a way that's a partnership. And we can try our best to avoid just writing that ticket and then walking away. Don't just stop at a number. Zero is easy to achieve. Uh, unfortunately, you, I can just stop reporting things and I can get to a zero incident rate. And it may take some time for me to get caught and I may go to jail for it, but I can get you to a zero. <laughs> we don't want to do that. We always want to strive for improvements in the system, not improvements to our numbers because the numbers are reactive. The systems are proactive. Never be afraid to fail. Now, when I say this, I'm not saying don't be negligent. Don't let your safety system implode. But try things with your culture. Do different things and see if they work. And if they work, great. If they don't work, move on. I'll give you a very quick example. I was in an organization and I had brainstormed a fantastic idea to motivate the team. I was going to give all the supervisors either a coin or dollars or something that they would give to their team. And to motivate them, if they saw them doing something good, here's a reward dollar. Those money or dollars or coins could be traded in for presents or goods or shirts or hats. And I had spent a lot of time getting ready to pitch this to the team. And I bring my core leadership team together. I start pitching this and they start laughing at me. And I'm like, what did I do wrong? And they said, Mark, a few years ago, we tried a program called Safety Bucks. And it was terrible. There's one guy walking around the plant right now with like 10,000 safety bucks. <laughs> because everybody gave them theirs when they realized the program was junk. I had to walk away from it. I put a lot of time, but I realized it wasn't going to work, but it didn't stop me from keeping to try. So don't be afraid to go out there and try. Let your team guide you. It's a lot of fun and it's a lot of learning, but we can't be afraid. We have to embrace the idea that change takes some effort. One of the items, especially in our workforce today, in creating that culture and creating that idea is the fact that we have, one, a diverse workforce, but for the first time, we have this diversity in generational workforces, which is unbelievable and really hard to manage. So there was a report done by the, it was the Association of Municipal Managers, Clerks, and Treasurers of Ontario. That's a mouthful. But what they looked at was how do these generations come to our workforce now that they're here? How can we motivate some very different workforces? So for instance, the silent generation into the boomer generation, which is still pretty heavy into our workforce right now, they're the ones that were loyal. They believed that you could work for an organization for years and years and years. You built yourself up by showing that you could show up for work, work the long hours, grind it out but they have such depth of knowledge of our workplace. And then here comes the Gen Xers. 
I'm a Gen Xer. We're a pretty small group as far as the workforce is concerned. We Not a lot of uh, babies were born during that time compared to some of the other generations, but we were the latchkey kids. We either were the ones that just kind of had to figure it out on our own. So when you enter the workforce, we don't really disrupt the boomers because we just don't care. Okay, teach me something, I'll do it. I just want whatever's going to bring me a little bit of money, a little bit of home time, and I'm going to be the balance because I'm really just kind of, I'm used to being a loner. And so here I am. You then move into our millennial generation, which really does look for flexibility in the workforce, work-life balance, and they want to gain some prestige in their, through the hard work they can put in, in their ideas. Then it's coming into our generation Z, which you hear a lot of people that complaining about, but they're bringing some really interesting knowledge about having social awareness, wanting a company that has real value. And as far as like cultural value and outside of work values, does, does the company have ethics, high standards of ethics? And they're really leaning on technology and wanting to work away from the workplace and being flexible. Well, when it comes to safety, you have this one group that believes in I must learn everything about the company. You have this other that says, well, if it's already out there, I'll discover it, find it, and learn it quicker. Hmm. How do we get these two teams to talk together? And a lot of it comes from building a very strong safety committee, finding your multi-generational, finding people who are out there that are from your baby boomers, your Gen Xers, some of your Gen Zers and millennials, those that are willing to work together, those that have a good mindset for thinking about problems in the workplace, let them be your voice. Bring them together in the same room. Give them the vision. Give them the problem. See what they can do to help you drive the solutions because this is where they start to work together and they start to propagate the idea and be that person spreading that great message for you. Most importantly, when we look at these groups, make sure they have that passion for safety because that's what unifies them. Even though a baby boomer may believe that we need to be in the office more, your Gen Z says, let me have a flexible workplace. They can both agree that whatever workplace we have, it should be one that we protect our people. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. You know, I love this idea of the safety committee and I love that in an earlier slide, you gave that Pepsi Coke machine example of, things that could go wrong there, because I think it's smart to mention common pitfalls that you've experienced in the past so that our attendees can, can learn from those and, and try to avoid them in the future. So thank you for that. And Peter, I'm gonna pass it over to you now. Do you have any best practices to share to help empower and motivate the workforce? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I, I think that the most important thing any organization can do to engage and motivate the workers around safety is just try to build trust. And that really starts with consistent, transparent, and effective communication. That's really near and dear to my heart. So first, employees must be aware of safety policies and procedures. It's pretty basic, especially if they're new or if they've recently changed. Always keep aware of that. Uh, but it's never a bad idea to reiterate all safety policies and procedures on a regular basis. <clears throat> These communications can absolutely serve as a reminder to more seasoned employees while educating new employees on the safety culture. Uh, you can also craft communications for safety and wellness checks for your employees. Some examples include things like after an emergency, you can confirm their safety, ask how they're doing, or if they need any help. That's huge. Uh, for non-emergency situations, you can send helpful resources for reference and for education. With the pandemic raging out there, conduct regular wellness checks to monitor COVID-19 symptoms or exposures. 
And you can also communicate with your people about your employee assistance program and its benefits. Because frankly, people see that once a year when they sign up for benefits and they kind of forget about it. Constantly communicate about those benefits. Um, also, I think it's really important to be in constant communication with your employees about emerging threats that could impact them at the office or at home. So this can include things like inclement weather, acts of violence, planned protests or demonstrations, cybersecurity incidents, physical security incidents, or really any number of physical threats out there. A client of ours uh, at Alert Media recently told me how they were alerted by our threat intel team to a wildfire that was near one of their locations, which happened to have been devastated by a wildfire about 10 years ago. So sensitivity was really, really high. Um, they quickly reached out to all the employees in the area, checking on their well-being, offering more information about the situation, as well as assistance if required. So this was really well received by those in the area. So just be sure to communicate with your people about any facility closures or service disruptions. You can even let them know about things like street closures, detours, or anything that may impact their commute. <clears throat> if they're working at one of your physical locations, that's important. Uh, but the less impacted your people are by incidents, the more productive they can be for you. So it's really a win-win. Checking in on people's safety can make them more productive for you. And then finally, make sure to communicate about any safety achievements or accomplishments or awards or lessons learned. That's huge. Uh, it's important to celebrate. Just stop for a minute and celebrate safety achievements to help reinforce positivity within your safety culture. Now, with all that said, I strongly encourage all organizations to invest in what I call a modern emergency communication solution to help streamline these best practices. Now, Alert Media does provide a two-way multi-channel communication system that allows you to send messages to all employees or to just a limited group of people that are impacted by a situation, both in an emergency situation and for everyday business critical incidents. And then we layer on top of that global threat monitoring, easy to use surveys and reporting, and things that are uh, something we call event pages, where you can store all the information about an incident in one place that's easy, easily accessible by the employees that might be impacted. So with the right communication tools, it's really quicker and easier to build trust with your employees and ensure that your company's messages are being received. Now, a great example of an organization that builds employee trust through communication is one of our customers, Coca-Cola United. For those of you unfamiliar with them, they're a privately held bottler and distributor of Coca-Cola uh, Coca products, and they're based in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, they're pretty big. They've got about 10,000 employees eight different production centers and 52 distribution centers. So they're really spread out. Um, I actually had the opportunity to interview Gianetta Jones. That's Coca-Cola United's vice president of, uh, uh, sorry, their, their chief people officer uh, on my podcast last year. And we spoke specifically about the company's need and desire to overhaul their communication strategies and tools. Um, now, as they learned after what was really a devastating experience with Hurricane Michael in 2018, it's really crucial for leadership to be able to communicate with employees, even when standard communication channels like traditional phone lines are down. Uh, but they were also looking to build employee morale through communication in everyday situations as well, not just emergencies. So as part of this effort, Coca-Cola United decided to invest in Alert Media's emergency communication and global threat intel solution. So during natural disasters or any kind of severe weather event, the company now sends their people proactively text not notifications, which will often work when phone lines and other data channels are down to relay any important information, things like evacuations or potential officer facility closures, and then provides them with resources or preparedness advice. 
which is huge. Uh, during and after storms, they utilize surveys and two-way me uh, messaging so they can confirm their employees' safety and determine if they're able to work or if they need to make arrangements for someone else to perform their job, which is really big for business continuity, uh, or perhaps just provide aid or assistance to those in need. Uh, they also use the solution for many day-to-day -day communications, updates, and announcements. Uh, on the podcast, Gianetta told me that Alert Media provides safety, reliability, continuity, and she said, most importantly, efficiency across the organization, basically allowing them to achieve 24 by 7 situational awareness and then promote their safety culture all through communication. So our solution, in summary, ensures that Coca-Cola United can communicate with their people anytime, anywhere, no matter what. And as a result, the employees feel more safe and secure knowing that they can be in constant contact with their employer who they now know is looking out for them and their families, which helps foster a sustainable safety culture. Now, before we wrap up this section, I have just a few additional best practices to keep in mind that can help you engage, empower, and motivate your employees around safety. So as you can see here, and we've talked about it, but make safety a really big deal. Have meaningful dialogue about it. Conduct exercises, drills, or training around it. Provide resources about it. The more you can educate or remind your people about safety on a consistent basis, the more it becomes ingrained in your company's culture. And then be certain to identify and communicate the why behind safety. I'm really big on the why. If people understand things, they're much more likely to engage and accept. If you want your employees to adopt a new system or policy, tell them why it's important, not just that it must be enforced. When people understand the why behind something, they're absolutely more inclined to buy into it and get on board. And then remember that safety starts at the top. It goes back to the Alcoa example we talked about before. Leaders should model safety practices and behaviors, not just talk about them. Walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. And then lastly, reward great safety behaviors and practices. We discussed it earlier in the webinar, uh, but some companies, they're implementing safety award programs or creative ways to give kudos and shout outs to employees who make the work environment safer. Rewards and encouragement are a fantastic way to create a sustainable safety culture. All right. With that, I'll go ahead and turn it back over to you, Katie. Yes, thanks, Peter. That's excellent. But with your uh, safety achievements, maybe don't use the safety bucks that Mark uh, <laughs> <That's> tried. <right. laughs> So before we get to some audience questions, I do want to launch just one last poll, and this one will be quick, everyone. So you've heard all these great nuggets of information so far, but that is just kind of the, the icing on the cake. So take a moment, please, and let us know if you want to hear more about how Alert Media can help you build a safety culture that withstands change. So you can say yes, and we will follow up with you afterwards and make sure you have all the information that you need. Or you can also say no, not at this time. And of course, no hard feelings there. So let's just take a couple more seconds um, for that and those answers to be submitted. And then Jeannie, you can go ahead and close that one out because I do want to get moving on to the questions. So we have a few already. Thank you so much. We're going to get to those. And then just a reminder, you can use this Q&A box uh, to ask anything additional. So Mark, I know you talked about um, the safety cop situation and, and avoiding that. But someone wants to know, how do you enforce PPE usage with your crew when the foreman who's just standing just a few feet away is not following the policy? Do you have any advice for that or tips? 
That is a fantastic question. Um, and I am sure there are so many people who have seen it because I've seen it too, that we're out there trying to encourage our team to wear it. I think there's a couple of approaches. The first is to remind the workers that the PPE is there for them, that certainly they have a reason why they should be wearing it. And we try to remind them that whatever the foreman is doing, right, wrong, or indifferent, they can make a different choice and they have the right to make a different choice and try to motivate them from the standpoint of, I want you to wear it because you want to go home with your fingers and your toes. That, that's important. Your kids probably want you to play with them and build Legos. And it's hard to do that without certain fingers and toes. But there's also a, a level of where that has to be documented. And you go one step above that form. And, and I've certainly made some great friends by assuring that one, I talk to the foreman, why are, why are you not setting the example? Uh, they're looking to you for an example. Why are you not? And if there's not good answers, I go the next level up and I express my concern for those lack of answers and that lack of desire to meet our company culture. And if I have to be the broken record that keeps saying it, eh, I've been that too. And it's, it's painful process. It's an ugly process. But a lot of it, uh, hopefully, you can find that motivational need that someone will start performing. If not, sometimes you just have to keep talking about it until action is happening. Gotcha. That's good advice there. And I'm going to stick with you here, Mark, because this is a good, um, interesting one, in my opinion. Um, this attendee would like to know, in programs that have started before and then stuttered or fell off, what are some different ways to push past that? I have recently taken control of an independent safety program and the previous leaders were never able to achieve the buy-in. So basically, yeah. how do you move past um, a program that didn't work before? How do you gain momentum on a new one? As with most things, it's almost easier to start with a blank slate than it is to start with a broken slate. Uh, so I've, I've felt that personally. I think I almost take it as like a challenge. Like you've read books like the leadership challenge where they say 21 days of leadership challenge. I almost go in with something like that. Like guys, give me, let's start with a 21 day safety challenge. Let's, in, let's encourage everyone to talk about a safety issue and let's see how many we can fix in 21 days. And then let's review the progress we've made and if it's made our life better. And I think I would be hard pressed to try to find an organization that made safety improvements and they said, oh, we're worse because of it. <laughs> I've never seen that happen, but I almost want to take it as like, let's do a 21 day challenge. Let's do a 14 day challenge. I know that's not going to get you long-term, but it gains that momentum. It's kind of like that stone that has been encased in mud. If you can get it to move just a little bit, maybe you can get it free to start building that momentum. And sometimes creating that challenge, um, almost like when you're trying to diet and eat right, you'll pull out that calendar. For 14 days, I'm going to make sure I eat my vegetables. That's, that's my challenge. And then at the end of the 14 days, you go, I feel better. You know what? I feel better. So I think I'm going to keep doing it. That's where I've started before. It's kind of laying out a challenge and trying to meet one thing. And usually it's, let's have our team give us an issue and let's see if we can fix it. Mm. That's a good point. Well, Peter, I, you're, well, actually, you're both probably suited to answer this one, but let me get to Peter first. Why has mental health taken so long to make its way to the forefront? They're wondering in the manufacturing world, but I think we can apply that to any industry. Do you believe that it's due to just the age old 
standard kind of just suck it up and get back to work mindset? Or why do you think that is? Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to the generational slide that we showed earlier. Um, there's just a different uh, thought process. You take the, the, the generation before the baby boomers and they just dealt with it. I mean, think about World War II, the depression. Nobody complained about anything. I think about my grandparents. I don't, I never heard them complain once about anything <laughs> the entire time I knew them. Uh, but that's completely changed with the newer generations and it's much more acceptable now. Um, so uh, I think it's trying to manage that across all the different generations is very difficult, but with the younger folks, it's far easier. I don't know, Mark, do you have any thoughts on that that you would, uh, that you would add? I would completely agree with what you said. It, it is generational, very much so. And our, I think that our systems haven't caught up with it. Uh, like insurance systems, there's, uh, you will still get probably in most cases, I'm making a generality here, but like if you look at your insurance plan, it's probably going to, if you break your leg, it's probably going to pay a little bit better for a broken leg than going to see a therapist for months and years to talk about things. And so we don't have a lot of systems that catch up with it. And I saw it in my household. My, my dad was a tire builder, a union tire builder. And he was one that like you fix physical ailments. When it comes to mental ailments, you just get through it. As he's gotten older and he's realized he has a psychologist for a son, (laughs) I think we've learned like he really had all those emotions, but it just wasn't acceptable. And so we have to make it more and more acceptable for us to talk about our feelings uh, and how things affect us because they do. We had someone on the podcast recently on the employee safety podcast that said vulnerability feeds vulnerability, right? So management, you go first you know, and others will follow suit. So I thought that was really interesting. Mm, Yeah. Um, Next question, uh, Mark, and then Peter, feel free to weigh in as well. I struggle to get employees to volunteer to serve on a safety committee. Do you have any suggestions for that? I thought about rebranding it with a different name. Any other ideas? That anything you can do to separate, like first seek what has happened in the past and what made it turn into that and try to avoid all that and rebrand it as best you can. And sometimes it takes other motivation. Uh, I, I try to avoid the idea of coffee, donuts, and complain. But if it sometimes takes coffee and donuts to get some people to show up to at least begin the conversation, I'll do it. If it takes a snazzy shirt that says, hey guys, I've got snazzy safety committee shirts. I'm not above bribery to get people <laughs> to at least participate because it gets the conversation started. Uh, and sometimes I'll go handpick someone, someone who I think would be fantastic. I'll just go out and go, hey, come to the meeting, please. Just do me one favor and come to two meetings. And if you don't like it, you can quit, but come to two meetings and give me a chance. Um, so it's almost like that, that car salesman, like, you know, get in it, drive it for two days. Let me know how you think. And we'll see if we can, we'll see if we can find a deal here. Okay. So I'm also kind of the become a safety salesman and you know that's another hat we as safety people wear is we have to sell it it's a good point anything to add there peter i think you just have to find what people are passionate about Uh, they could there's thousands upon thousands of safety issues that uh, that people need to care about but there's always one or two or three that they're going to be passionate about so try to find out what that is and connect with them and have them join to share that with the team and tell them that's the extent of what we need you for just share with what you're passionate about and we're not going to bring you on to do a whole lot more. And then people are like, oh, okay, I see the boundaries now and it's going to be limited. I can come in and really describe what I care about. And then someone else will come and describe the other things that they care about. 
That's great. Well, we have time for one more question and I don't mean to put you both on the spot, but I love this one. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it anyway. What is your favorite workplace safety motto? Any, either of you wanna go first? I, I can certainly go first. Mine, okay. I, I'm, I'm an Eagle Scout, a Lifeline Boy Scout. So it's be prepared. <laughs> Classic, <laughs> applies to every situation. It does. Mark, how about you? Yeah, I'm actually very fond of, of where I'm at, the zero harm idea. It's so simple. We just zero harm, whether it's environmental, community, people, zero harm. Love it. Well, there are quite a few questions we didn't get to today. So I am sorry if you asked one, we will make sure to follow up with you afterwards. Yeah. And actually in the meantime, um, we have a few additional resources where you might be able to find some of this information. So you can reference these if you would like more ideas and insights on how to reinvent your safety culture. As we discussed earlier in the presentation, and we have had several people ask about it in the, in the Q&A, um, the Employee Safety Podcast. That is Peter's podcast. You can find that at alertmedia.com. And we have a, a ton of episodes on safety culture, but the one that comes to mind for me is the January 5th episode just a few weeks ago about psychological safety in the workplace. That one's really great. And then we also recommend that you visit Mark's website at markafrench.com. You can find blog posts, podcast episodes, and other helpful resources. So at this time, I just want to um, invite you guys to connect with Mark and Peter on LinkedIn if you would like to do so. And then really just Mark and Peter thanking you for your time. I learned so much today. I really hope our audience did as well. And we just really appreciate all your valuable insights. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you guys both. And so that does conclude our presentation today. I really appreciate all of you taking the time to come be with us. And I do hope you'll join Alert Media for a future webinar. And of course, I would like to thank Safety and Health Magazine and NSC for hosting us today and giving us this opportunity. So thank you so much. And with that, I'm gonna turn it back over to you, Kevin. Well, oh, excellent, Katie. And, and we echo that thanks back to you. We really appreciate everyone's insights and expertise today. Um, as we do conclude today's presentation, just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. Really appreciate your input because it'll help us improve future webcasts. If you don't happen to see the evaluation survey on the screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower part of your screen. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. I'm sorry that we didn't get to everyone's questions, but as Katie indicated, all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded on to our speakers. With that, we end today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. We'd like to thank Katie Gowen, Peter Steinfeld, Mark French, everyone at Alert Media, and all of you who listened in. Thanks and have a great day.